So we were going a bit deeper into into what Shuvah is all about, and specifically focusing on the the first stage, which is which is Rosh Hashanah. And just a bit, a bit of a brief recap to something that we've been focusing on, um, and that is this idea of Rosh Hashanah being something which is fundamentally essential to our being. You know, there are many different takes of what Rosh Hashanah is all about, and obviously there's many different aspects and angles. The angle I'd like to focus on is the most essential nature. Um, and and maybe, maybe like start off like this. The world was created on the 25th of Elul. That's when the world was created. So already on the 1st of Tishrei was the creation of man. Now, an idea which is obvious and very commonplace in, in, in Torah, and we've discussed it, I suppose, many times before, is that we don't have symbolic and ritualistic practices in Yiddishkeit. Every mitzvah is to unlock some level of spiritual energy that's present in that moment in time. And since the year is cyclic, cyclical, and the way we perceive time is as a spiral, so as we move forward in time, we're also arriving at the same stations time and time again in order to recharge on, this, on the different kinds of energies which each period of the year offers us. And we have to conceptualize the periods of the year in terms of what they represent, and then we become conscious and we can have intention to um, spot the energy that, or to connect to the energy that they're trying to, that, that's present in those moments. And of course, this is, this is a, a necessary prerequisite because if you, if you, walk, into a, um, you walk into a shop and someone says to you, well, why are you here? You say, well, I've come to buy something. And they say, well, what have you come to buy? You say, I have no idea. You'll be walking around the shop forever and each shelf you come to will be essentially meaningless because you have no idea what you need to take off the shelf. But if you go into the shop and you say, well, I need to buy um, breakfast cereal. So you, you guide yourself to the breakfast cereal and you see it becomes visible and you're able to take it off the shelf. So we have to understand what are we looking for when we enter into Rosh Hashanah and how is it going to form um, the the Pasuk says, David Hashem Oiri V'yishi. Oiri is Rosh Hashanah. It's a light. Rishi salvation is, is Yom Kippur. So how is it going to lighten, how are we going to get that light, that insight, that, that clarity? So Rosh Hashanah is about receiving clarity. Clarity in what and what are we trying to do? So Rosh Hashanah is the creation of man. That's what happened on the sixth day, the creation of humanity. And that means that the energy that's contained in the day that we're trying to reconnect to is an energy of recreation. It's essentially our a place of birth. And the place of birth obviously is not our own particular birthday, but but it's our collective birthday. It's the point in time where we reconnect to the basic origins of self in the most fundamental fashion. What happened on the sixth day of creation was Humanity was formed through two disparate elements. And created, formed, Hashem Elohim. Esa Adam, man. Afar Min HaAdama, 
ground dust from the earth that's the one component so the one component of man is the material the earthly the finite the physical and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life the other component is the neshama the soul and he became a living spirit, a living um, soul, a living being. So the creation of man is the breathing of the spiritual, the breath of life into this material body. And if Rosh Hashanah is the re connection to that first breath of life so then one of the basic themes is going to be locking into what that breath of life is all about so sorry um, so the breath of life goes back to the creation of the world the world is created the Gemara says, based on a verse, which says, Be Boram in its creation, but it separates the words as if to read, Behay Boram. With Hay, the world was created, the letter Hay. What that means is, the world was created with a, the breath. The breath, the world was created with the breath. I think something we've explored before. So the breath was the formal creation of man, and that breath was, as it were, Hashem creating, spreading His life force into man. And that's why the soul is looked upon as a chelik elokamimal. It's as if it was a piece of the Yubanish Olam. The essence of Him was transferred to us. And the expression of the transferal of this essence is through the breath, in a, in, in a bizarre kind of fashion, a little bit similar to mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, that the breath of life is breathed into us, but the breather is giving of his essence, and we are the container that receives that essence, and that essence is the animating component of our very beings. So what animates us on every level is the soul, or the breath, and the way to experience life is always through the breath. So the breath is breathed into us. Once it's breathed into us, we have a rhythmic relationship to breath. The in-breath and the out-breath. The in-breath is how we, as it were, take in new life. And the out-breath is how we create more room for life to occur. We use that breath in a sense. And the outbreath is the beginning of speech. Because every speech, every word, needs to be formed with the breath that you breathe in. If you ever go for singing lessons, which clearly, um, even though I've been, um, probably all that was learned from them is uh, this exercise in terms of the quality of my voice. Um, I'm sorry to reveal it didn't quite work, but what they taught me, and now my son goes for singing lessons now as well, um, what they focus on is that you have to 
breathe in in order to project your voice. You breathe in. Oh. So you have to. You need to use your breath because the breath is the beginning of all speech. So what happens is the breath comes in and then you take the breath and as you breathe it out, you form it into words. But the starting point, the, the, the kind of the origin of speech is in the breath. And um, speech is obviously a crucial component of who we are as people because what words do is they allow us to become present in the world. So essentially the creation of man is the creation of the speaker. And man is actually referred to in the different divisions of life forms on earth. There's the inanimate plant life, animal life, and not man, but speaker. That's how he's referred to because we live in a world of words. And the way we create our constructs and the way we express ourselves is through our words. So therefore, the process of giving the breath was giving us the life force and then the way that we almost carry that life force into being is through the organs of speech, but they're always animated by the power of the breath. So the breath takes on the form of words. Words become symbols, constructs, which then become representative of experiences and meanings, understandings and um, views of reality. And essentially the world becomes a world when spoken about. The movement from potential to reality internally is the movement of my thoughts to my words. That's when they become a reality. They become in the public space where they can be shared and dealt with. Until then they remain behind a certain barrier of, of, of um, private space. And the organs of speech, namely the tongue and the lips, both carry that in terms of their... Um, visual, their the, the, way they, the way they're built. The tongue is the only limb which is simultaneously internal and external because you can stick out your tongue. And the movement of the tongue is from the inside to the outside, which is the expression of words. And the lips as well, the skin on the lips is unique, but it's the same as, as it is on the inside, it is on the outside as well. Because the notion of words is a movement from the hidden to the revealed, from potential to reality. So, as humans, our goal in life is to express and realize ourselves, and one of the most powerful ways we do that is through our words. That's how we become manifest. The words we share, the words that we um, listen to and then, and then um, duplicate, and the way that we describe the world. That becomes our reality. So, Man is created, he's breathed into him the breath of life, and then he becomes the nefesh chaya, which the Targum says, l'ruch memalalom, a speaking spirit. Meaning we were given, through the breath, the gift of speech. Now the problem with speech is that it is only an approximated experience of reality. It's not, it's not the real thing, it's symbolic, it's representational. So if I share with you an idea about something that happened to me, and I said, you know, I was, I was in a, sta I was in a, I was walking, I was walking in the road, and there was this gust of wind, and uh, almost was like this mini, mini tornado, and I was like pushed from side to side. So as I say those words, 
it conjures up in your mind your own personal relationship to those kind of experiences which may or may not be the same as mine most likely not because my experience of how that felt is different from your experience would you to feel the same thing because we all have our own based on our own physical form our intellectual and our emotional states we experience things in different ways so already all my words are doing is are on approximation a symbol of what occurred but they aren't the real thing contrast that with the power of a scream. A scream is something which penetrates the um, barriers of understanding and there's an intuitive grasp of what the person's conveying which is way more powerful than um, a sentence. So if a person says, I'm in really deep trouble and a person screams, ah! the penetrating power of a scream is ironically because it doesn't really have the same words. It's, it's deeper than words. It's transcending words. The difference though is that a scream could always merge into words. So let's go back to, to Rosh Hashanah. We've got this breath and the breath is the breath is a creation. So how do we respond? Well the way we respond is we blow the shofar. And blowing the shofar means I give over my breath into a conduit, this ram's horn, which then allows the sound, this deep primal sound to be emitted. And that deep primal sound becomes representative of my core being. But it's the scream which expresses that fundamental yearning for closeness. And that scream's got different variations to it. There's the tekir, which is this clear, straight sound. There's the groaning of the shvarim. And there's the piercing trill. <laughs> Each one representing a different, different emotional movement. And then there's always this kind of relief of the of the tekir, which concludes any set of blasts of the shofar. But really what's happening is I'm taking the life force given to me and I'm expressing it, almost returning it to its source of ori- origin, back to Hashem. And in doing so, I'm reconnecting to the reality of my existence. Acknowledging on the deepest possible level that my life is a gift from Hashem. And since it's a gift from Hashem, it's a surrendering in the deepest possible way of the most fundamental part of myself to the creator of the world. Powerfully emitting the sound which says words cannot express the depth of our connection. Now the the Medrash goes further and it asks the most seemingly bizarre question. It says, well, who's blowing the shofar? Who's the blowing of the shofar? Now obviously the, the simple answer would be, what do you mean who's blowing the shofar? Um... 
the person who's blowing the shofar is the, the Baal Tokea. He's the one blowing the shofar. And, um, you know, it's pretty obvious to see. You see him standing there up on the, on the bema. So the, the major actually answers, no, it's, it's, not, it's not the Baal Tokea, the shofar blow that's blowing the shofar. It's Hashem who's blowing the shofar. Oh, what do you mean Hashem's blowing the shofar? That doesn't make any sense. Well, it didn't make any sense until we understand what we just said. If we are on Rosh Hashanah reconnecting to the fact that life is a gift and that I'm a creation, not a creator, and that there's a higher power that's right now giving me the gift of life and the gift of life is His present to me and I acknowledge that present in the deepest depth of my being, that means that the breath I've, ha- I've given is not my gift, it's not mine, it's His. And when I return that to Him, I'm saying, your breath is coming through me. If it's your breath coming through me, so then you're the one blowing the shofar, not me. It's the ultimate breaking down of the barriers, the constructs which separate us from the creator of all the worlds, smashing down the illusion of self and allowing the essence of being deeply, fundamentally, intimately connected with the and through the shofar, that momentary, intimate unification occurs. And that's the deepest point where we absolutely surrender our being to recognize that on every level, the animating component of every aspect of my life is the breath that was breathed into me by the Boya Olam. And that's, uh, that changes something in the spiritual energies of the world. The way it's expressed in the Gemara is Kiviachal, as it were, Hashem gets up from the Kisei Din and He sits on the Kisei Rachamim. Meaning that when we acknowledge on the deepest level the origin and the reality that we have no independent self. We don't exist as independent beings, but we are connected on a basic level to the power of Hashem. So when that realization is clear, so then we transcend the, we shift the the direction, the avenue of connection from separation to unity and it's no longer me and Hashem. It's we are together. When we are together, so then there's no need for judgment. Judgment implies that, you know, I want you to see if, you, if you're doing the right thing or the wrong thing. Well, that, that's a relevant question to be asked and to be explored when... Um, you and I are kind of distant from one another, and now we have to go through an evaluation, have to kind of overview, oversee what you're doing. But when you and I are working together in tandem, so then, I mean, there's there's really no more discussion because we are one. 
So obviously what you want, I want, and what I want, you want. So then well, there's no room for judgment. And that's an incredibly powerful point about Rosh Hashanah, that there's, when is, the, when, is the, when is this judgment of Rosh Hashanah? When is it, what is it referring to? Um, so, Ravalbi writes that, you know, it's not referring to the past, because um, there's Rishalmi, Talmud Yerushalmi, who says that, no, it's not referring to the past. And it's not referring to the future, because um, we even read on Rosh Hashanah that uh, Yishmael, who in the future would do bad things to the Jews, is judged. But he's judged by Sher Sham, based on where he is right now. So the judgment of Rosh Hashanah, it doesn't really matter what you did, it doesn't matter what you're going to do, it's what you are. It's where you are on that day. Where are you? How are you connected? Um, and that, I think, is, um, is fundamental. Because it frees us from the paradigm prisons of feeling that we are compelled to justify the past or think into the future. On Rosh Hashanah, there's no thought about that. We don't mention sins or that kind of thing, or we don't speak about what we're going to do in the future. We simply lock in, in the deepest possible way, through the mechanism of Shofar. We lock in deep, deep, deep to the fundamental essence of being. And then, of course, that's rebirth. That's a recreation of self. And then the next step is once that realization that visceral experience of connection reverberates through inner parts of our being. So now we have a period of time to integrate, which culminates with Yom Kippur. And Yom Kippur is superbly designed to allow the remaining obstructions the dross inside us to be lifted so that that internal radiance can shine out. And therefore these two days work in tandem where the first one reconnects us to the essence of being Rosh Hashanah and the second one facilitates the integration into our life. And the interim period called the Seretimei Tshuva, the days of Tshuva, allow us an opportunity to take that realization and use it as a lens to view the past and to kind of project into the future. Viewing the past in terms of, I look back and I think, wow, what I did wasn't really a reflection of my essence. I got so caught up in my stuff and... I wasn't really connecting to the deepest part of my most authentic self. I, I was busy creating all these strange narratives. And I've got all these scripts that I read with this person. I'm trying to affirm myself and trying to kind of get this thing going and not recognizing that there's actually um, a powerful force that's, that's helping me and assisting me and and guiding me, and I'm kind of, like, kind of scrambling around doing stuff for myself, and I'm living in this world which is so separate and so distant from this creation, this grounded sense of being. And that's so, that's so, that's way off. That's way off. So that's what Chuva is. I look back and I think, whoa, that was like so, so not, so not like on. 
and uh, that kind of prepares me for for Yom Kippur, where there's this real sense of cleansing which can which can occur. Um, so that's yeah, that's uh, that's uh, kind of step one. Um, now, there's an interesting. It's a famous work called Tzidkas Atzadik, Reptolik Akoyen, who, who writes, I, I, I've got it here, it's, it's very, very interesting. He says that the source of loss of self and the fundamental reason why we build, build up this spiritual plaque on ourselves, which then becomes so solidified that it actually creates a numbness and a lack of coherence between our inner selves and our outer selves, is based on a word in Hebrew called shikha, which is often translated as forgetfulness, but I would prefer to translate it as a, a lack of consciousness. And he says that that lack of consciousness, there's two kinds of remembering or forgetting. The one is like having an intellectual um, abstract conceptual knowledge of a given idea. And the other one is having a feeling, an experience of what that idea is all about. And he posits that um the source of disconnection is based on this loss of conscious awareness. And he brings a fascinating Gemara. There's a Gemara in, in Menachas which describes um, a really interesting... Uh, and I'm not going to go into the symbolic and the vivid description but a summary would be that a man is grasped by the desire to go to a prostitute and as he starts to get unchanged he gets to his tzitzis and they slap him on the face and he sobers up and runs out um, and doesn't doesn't do anything untoward. And Reb Tzodok says that the shift that occurred, he was wearing his tzitzis, he was aware of the fact that he was doing something wrong, but that awareness was an intellectual awareness. It wasn't an emotional awareness. And the seeing of the tzitzis, either it was a literal slapping on the face or it was a virtual slapping on the face, that trigger, which kind of brought him back to a different way of thinking, was the ultimate um, reconnection to his, to his internal alignment. And um, that's something which I think is, is, is perhaps... A movement forward that um, in order for us to become connected to this idea 
of living consciously connected to ourself, we actually need to have a system of um, pathways to lead us to the state of consciousness. And many of them would um, be allocated in our relationship to mitzvahs. The mitzvahs are there to instill in us this level of consciousness, but only when we do them with intent. If we do them by rote, so then they're almost just bodily functions and they don't have the depth of revolutionizing our consciousness. But when we do them with intent, they can really be transformational, as you essentially see from this Gemara about the tzitzis slapping them. In other words, tell you where tzitzis, but it could be that it's just another, you know, you have an undershirt and then you put on this and then you put, it's just, it could be just another layer. But when you, when you wear them with intention, so then you kind of ask yourself, well, what actually, you know, I'm not wearing these, this garment to protect me from cold. It's certainly, you know, it's certainly not comfortable in the heat. So what am I actually doing? And then I ask myself that question and then I think, well, it's actually there to Uzzachartim. The word Uzzachartim, which is Lizkor, which is often translated as remember, I believe is more accurately, accurately translated as become conscious of. It's not referring to an event that you recall. It's referring to a state of mind. And then you get to this point where you recognize that life that we live is based on the mental landscape that we create in our mind. And the thoughts in the moment define our reaction to the given events that occur around us. And if my thoughts are, let's say, conscious thoughts of tzitzis, where um, I'm aware of, of Hashem in the world, I'm aware that there's a deeper dimension to myself or whether it be filling where I connect myself physically binding it on me but realizing that the point of my mind where I see things through my mind my third eye and my field of action my hand and my seat of emotion my heart are all responding to a landscape which my reference point is the Exodus, which is a demonstration of Hashem's dominion in an absolute sense over every molecule in creation. So when I'm seeing the life, when I'm seeing life through that, people who enter into my space, things that occur, are all part of this carefully orchestrated divine plan, specifically tailored for my own personal realization of connection. Well, then things are completely different. Because if that's my consciousness, someone comes and does something to me, I don't respond to them. I look at them as an agent of um, spiritual training for me. 
and when something happens, I don't look at upon it as random, and therefore I try to solve the problem, because that's symptomatic, that's a symptom. I rather dig a little bit deeper, and I try to explore what the cause, why did the, I ask the question why. I always ask the question why. And armed with that why question, so then my life takes on a different dimension, and my perception of the world becomes internally coordinated with the authenticity of my deepest part of self, which I discovered on Rosh Hashanah, which is that the breath that I have is not my own. It's a gift for me, and ultimately I'm a creation. And this kind of inculcation uh, into our own consciousness of the fact that we are creations translates into the theme of Rosh Hashanah, of what we call Malchus, that there's kingship. Essentially, the acknowledgement of a king is the appreciation of a higher power that controls me, I don't control him. And that's the first component of Rosh Hashanah. The Zichroinus, the remembering, is making that conscious. And the vehicle for those two experiences is the shofar. And that's the divisions of the Musaf prayer, which is Malchus, Zichroinus, and Shofreis. The three components of re-establishing and recalibrating our own selves to the, to the um, reality of our beings. So I think those are, you know, maybe a little bit lofty, but definitely important ideas to to focus on and to play around with um, during these times. And I think if we take these ideas and then try to find ways of translating them practically into our life, you know, even something like um, looking at our tzitzis or becoming aware of our of our Tfilin, or when we say a bracha, well, I mean, a bracha essentially is this, and it's like throughout the day, you know, you're saying a hundred brachas a day, that's like, that can keep us focused, if we have intent. So, it's, uh, that's maybe a direction, um, ideas for, for you guys, and, um, yeah, maybe we'll, we'll stop there, and, uh, I really wish you all a, a wonderful, wonderful year, Shana Tova Umetuka, sweet and blessed in absolutely every area and every endeavor. And um, a, a life that Hashem should give us, which is deeply connected to Him and to ourselves, where we don't live in the anguish of separation, but in the joy of unity and connection. Any questions? Rob, we're going to run out of time and there's some, we're going to open another meeting.